Welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Hope you're doing well today. Today I'm going to talk about a subject that I I don't think many of us have thought about much unless we are theologians. <laughs> but it it keeps on coming up and I'm thinking that this is something pretty important. And I first heard it in a video that I was watching and this it's the topic is dualism, dual as in two, or monism as in mono. So dual or mono, two or one. And I just happened to come across this video and a guy was talking about, you know, wokeism and different things that I've been studying. And he mentioned that the ultimate goal of paganism was the joining of opposites. And I was like, hmm. And he said that that Jung, Carl Jung, uh, was one of these people. And he was saying that what they're trying to do is eliminate the differences. And by that, he meant that he's tr they are trying to make everything one. And that may sound... Uh, you know, vaguely, you know, harmless. But what they're trying to do is blend good and evil, right and wrong, and try to say that it's all the same. And isn't that exactly what you we are seeing right now? Trying to eliminate male and female, saying that we're all the same, trying to say that everyone is equal, you know, eliminate uh, meritocracy, eliminate hierarchy. They're trying to say that we're all one, we're all the same, there's no difference, and that is related to this idea of monism, or as the, the guy was calling it in the video, oneism and twoism. And so I'm going to read you something from that website. This website is called Truth Exchange. And there's no E in exchange. So it's truthxchange.com. And I think this guy is pretty well known. His name is Peter Jones. And it looks like he's been um, in this, you know, in the Christian ministry for many years. He's getting, you know, older um, but one thing they point out on this website is that what the devil does is he exchanges the truth for a lie. And unfortunately, many people don't know the truth well enough to be able to see when it's exchanged for a lie because it starts being, it's, it's replaced with something that sounds good, Right. So, you know, what could possibly be wrong with, you know, love, right? So um, the gay rights movement will, you know, it will try to say that it's all about love. But that's not what the Bible says. And so people who try to stick to what the Bible says, you know, we, we are attacked as being hateful. But that's because this idea that homosexual 
marriage, sex, whatever, is is a, is good. It's love, but that's the truth that love is good being exchanged for a lie that homosexual sex is good. So those are two different things. And this, the homosexual agenda in general is being portrayed as loving and normal and natural and just another option when that is completely opposite to what the Bible teaches. And that's just one example, but it's an easy one to use. So, getting back to the oneism and twoism, um, I went to gotquestions.com and they, of course, use the proper terms of monism and dualism. So, I'm going to read you what they say about it. They say that monism is a philosophical worldview in which all of reality can be reduced to one thing or substance. And in this use of the word substance means essence or thingishness. In other words, it is something in which the properties adhere. In other words, to make it simple, um, in my last podcast I was talking about post-humanism. And this monism is underlying all of that philosophy. It is the worldview that God is the ultimate source um, of being, but there is no distinction between God and the rest of the universe. So we are all God ourselves. We are part of God. We are in God, you know. And this is not the same as the Christian uh, view that God puts some of his existence, his spirit in us as a deposit when we are saved by faith. That does not mean that we already were God or we were already in God. It, we were not, and that is the, that's what happened at the fall, is that we became separated from God in relationship, but that does not mean that we were part of God or that we were equal to God. God is separate. So dualism is the idea that there are two essences. There's God and there's everything else. But these monism, these, these people who believe in monism, believe that it's all one. We're all, it's all part of one big existence. Um, so it sounds very metaphysical because it pretty much is when you, if you try to, <laughs> I mean, people can explain it, um, in various ways. And like I said, um, that the truth is exchanged for a lie. So they will use words that are, that are often used to explain things that we already understand. And they will try to use those same words to make up a new story that is not true. 
So you have to be really careful because they are literally changing the meaning of words. Just like, you know, Mormons call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, they are not the Church of Jesus Christ. That, that is a, that's a lie that's being used. They're exchanging the truth of Jesus Christ for this made-up religion of Joseph Smith. And I don't mean to pick on the Mormons a lot, but I do know a little bit about that topic, so it's I can use it as an example. And they, they are a good example of um, deceiving many, many people by changing, exchanging the truth for a lie. So here's a little bit more from the article in gotquestions.com. Monism can also be seen in the scientific realm and those who subscribe to a naturalistic materialism. According to this view, all reality is limited to the material world. There is no such thing as spirit, soul, or God as we know it. Only those things that can be perceived by the senses are real. This is the default position of many atheists, at least those who are consistent with their worldview. One can see what happens if one takes this view to its logical conclusion. If everything is essentially, as in essence, if, if, if everything is matter that is governed by physical laws, then invisible things such as love, virtue, morality, justice, etc. go out the window. What do those things mean in a purely material world? They are basically feeble attempts to construct meaning in a cold and deterministic universe. All of these philosophies, whether monistic, dualistic, or uh, pluralistic, which we haven't discussed, are attempting to deal with the problem of universals or the problem of the one and the many. The problem of universals can be illustrated like this. Take the example of a chair. We can all imagine a chair in our minds and apply that concept to different instances of the word chair. All of these instances of the word chair may differ. They could be a simple wooden chair, a fancy office chair, a recliner, etc., but they all share the essential characteristics of chairness. The question that arises is what is more real? the concept of chair or the particular chairs we see in the world? How do we solve this problem? The classic Christian response to this problem is to resolve it in the ontological trinity. God is the ultimate existing one. He is the only being who is independent and self-existent. All other things that exist in the universe derive their existence from God who created all things out of nothing. Hence, reality is not monistic in a strict sense because after the act of creation, there was a distinction between God and the world. On the other hand, reality is not strictly dualistic because the universe is not an eternally self-existing reality like God. Its existence is derived from God. In other words, we live because God lives. There is no 
there is a distinction between us, but we are not independent. Therefore, because God is a trinity, one divine essence subsisting in three divine persons, we see this unity and diversity trait all throughout creation. Reality reflects the essential nature of God, who himself is a unity in diversity. Well, I can't actually say that last (laughs) paragraph helped me out too much. Um, so let's, let's read a little bit more about pantheism because that is a type of monism. Pantheism is the view that God is everything and everyone and that everyone and everything is God, which we said that was similar to monism. Pantheism is similar to polytheism, the belief in many gods, but it goes beyond polytheism to teach that everything is God, even a rock, a tree, an animal, the sky, the sun, you. Pantheism is a supposition behind many cults and false religions. For example, Hinduism and Buddhism to an extent, the various unity and unification cults and mother nature earth cults. Does the Bible teach pantheism? No, it does not. What many people confuse as pantheism is the doctrine of God's omnipresence. Where um, Psalm 139 verses 7 and 8 declares, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God is everywhere, but he is not in everything. A rock cannot run away from God, but the rock is not, God is not in the rock. (laughs) God is present inside a tree because he made that tree, but the tree has no, none of the characteristics of God. And we, we might be made, we are made in the image of God, but that does not mean that we are equal to God or even have the essence of God. The, and, uh, you know, the closest we can get to being like God is by being obedient to the commandments that God gave us. But because of our fallen sinful nature, we, are, we will never be, we will never be like God but we never were completely like God. We were more created similar to God, but we are not God. So the clearest biblical arguments against pantheism are the countless, countless commands against idolatry, which is is the most common sin. The Bible forbids the worship of idols, angels, celestial objects such as the sun, items in nature such as trees, and the earth itself. If pantheism were true, it would not be wrong to worship such an object because that object would in fact be God. But it obviously is not true. And the Bible's clear and specific denunciation of worshiping the creation in Romans is a conclusive argument against pantheism.
and the pagan, the pagan religions that um, were that were um, in the land that the Israelites went into, they they worshipped all kinds of gods based on, you know, natural that had natural features, and we're seeing this more and more in the world today that people. People are rejecting the God of the Bible and returning to some kind of a paganistic, you know, nature worship. It's almost like some of them are just kind of slipping into it without even reason, you know, realizing what they're doing. And I think, I think you know, one one reason that is is that we are so busy today. And that we're living in such an instant world that, let's face it, we don't think about things very, very much. We, we just act. So there's a whole lot of just accepting whatever comes along without thinking about it, without questioning it. And I think that's how, that's how we got to the point that we're at now, is that people quit thinking about things so let me see let me take a break here and see what else I wanted to talk about okay I just remembered okay so when when COVID first came out and I was researching a lot about Bill Gates and the, the health um, health care um, policy that they were trying to create a global health care policy, and there was I read a lot of articles about um, animal diseases being spread to humans, and uh, you know that kind of thing. Well, I stumbled upon this idea of One Health, and and at the at the time. I was thinking of that more along the line. You know, I I thought that was a bad thing, right? (laughs) But um, I I was thinking more of it as a bad thing because um, it it was like a one world government thing. But now I see it, not just that, not just that, because yes, global... Global health policy is part of a one world government trend, but we're nowhere near. We're not getting, we're not there yet. So if you go to the CDC, you can, you can uh, do a search and type in one health. And, and here are, here's what it says. One health basics. One Health is a collaborative, multi-sectoral, and transdisciplinary approach. Okay, these, these uh, oneist, oneist, or you know, monist and post-human philosophers—they love transdisciplinary approaches for everything. Okay, they want everything to merge into one group of thought and policy. So, okay, so it's a transdisciplinary approach working at the local, regional, national, and global levels. And this is on the cdc.gov. 
with the goal of achieving optimal health outcomes and recognizing the interconnection between people, animals, plants, and their shared environment. Okay, so, you know, some people will read that and they're like, yeah, it's a big deal, you know, interconnected, plants, animals, whatever. But they, if you don't realize that this is a, this is a, um, a break from the truth, okay? So what I was talking about earlier, right? The truth exchanged for a lie. Well, people, animals, and plants are connected in that we exist in this on the same planet. But these people want to put us all in the same species because it's all about evolution and, you know, the fact that humans, I even actually saw the word humanimal instead of, you know, human plus animal, humanimal. <laughs> it's kind of hard to say. So they want to eliminate the difference between humans and animals. So this one health idea is a preliminary step in the changing of people's minds to accept this new idea. It'll just be seamlessly brought into the culture without any kind of resistance because people won't recognize that it's a lie. It's, you know, some people will, but. So <clears throat> this says, it, it talks about how humans and animals are living in close contact and because of this, there are more diseases and there are changes in the climate and things like that and movement of people, animal and animal products during travel and trade. And some of that is true. And when it comes to, to you know, the lie, the truth being exchanged for a lie, there's always truth mixed in with the lies. But just remember the lies, the lies are brought in this way so they will be easily accepted. So it says, how will the One Health approach work? CDC uses a One Health approach by involving experts in human and animal health and other relevant disciplines and sectors in monitoring and controlling public health threats successful public health interventions okay interventions require the cooperation of human animal and environmental health partners professionals in human health such as doctors nurses public health practitioners and epidemiologists covid as well as animal health veterinarians and agricultural workers and environmental health ecologists and wildlife experts and other areas of expertise and other relevant players including law enforcement policymakers agriculture communities and even pet owners so like i said it all sounds reasonable until you realize the ultimate the you know the logical conclusion of this 
is the diminishing and the removing of the difference between humans and animals in a philosophical way. So there's there's a there's a practical practical information and then there's this other stuff <laughs> that is snuck in through the through the practical stuff. So I wanted to also mention on a separate story um, a couple of websites I found that that look pretty good. One is called the Ezra Institute, and this says restore gospel confidence, renew understanding of the scope and power of the Word of God, rebuild a Christian philosophy of life for every sphere and recover a message of redemption that claims all of creation as the theater of God's glory. So, in other words, creation is not something that just happened. It's a reflection of God. It's how we can know God. And uh, another one... uh, See if I can find it. Okay. Okay, this was a website called spikedonline.com. And there's a dash between spiked and online. And I found this author. His name is Brendan O'Neill. And he has some really good articles in here. Um, I haven't had time to read them all. But he he writes about uh, self-delusion, white privilege as nonsense, um, gender jihadist, uh, the nonsense of non-binary. See, the non-binary, that is part of the the one-ism, the the monism. Non-binary, saying that, you know, like there is no difference between men and women and I don't know about y'all but when when our own government is hiring not one but several trans men who are dressing up as women and one of them claimed to be non-binary I mean that was the one that was stealing the luggage and just you know basically dressing up like a clown it was horrible and I I, I don't know what happened to that guy uh, I need to look it up, but anyway, this spikedonline.com and Brendan O'Neill, you can click on his name and all the articles he's written will be displayed on the same the same page uh, to make it easy. Uh, here's one that looks good. Uh, the, the Tyranny of Identity. Oh, here's one. The Woke War on Truth. So he writes about identity politics a lot. And, um, yeah, this looks like a really good uh, guy to read. Anyway, I'm going to keep this kind of short today. Um, I just, I hope everyone is praying for Turkey. I, I, I'm sure all of us who are waiting for Jesus to come back, when we saw the news about those, not just one, but three big earthquakes and you know it's the time is 
is coming. You know, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when that's going to be. We could have many years of these earthquakes and wars and stuff, or it could be today. We don't know, but we must be ready and we must continue sharing the gospel and we must be living in expectation of meeting our king and being ready for that. And that means not not living in ways, you know, that are that are wrong, not sinning. So we have to, you know, keep our hearts and minds and lives free from sin and repent when we do sin because uh, the Lord is faithful to forgive those who confess their sins. So let's, let's keep the people of Turkey. You know, I mentioned that to someone and I got kind of a snarky a reply about praying for the for the people in Turkey, you know, and that, and that, why should we pray for them? You know, they're our enemies. They want to kill us. Well, maybe some of them do, but a lot of them are just, just regular, just people who need Jesus, you know, and it's, God's going to take care of everything. It's our job to pray for our enemies we are commanded to do this. Pray for our enemies and leave the the judging to God. So wouldn't it be great if the whole world was praying for for the salvation and the comfort and the, the rescuing of the of the people buried under the rubble in those buildings that just collapsed all over Turkey? People, I mean, I saw heartbreaking videos. Uh, one guy was crying, mommy, mommy. I mean, he was a, a grown man. He was crying out in his language for his mother. And he was, he was terrified that she was dead. And he, you know, I mean, we have to have compassion on the people like God has compassion on us. And, you know, they, those people may not, under, you know, they may not know Jesus yet, but they, we want them to know Jesus. And if they see us praying for them, maybe they will start thinking differently. But it's not our, you know, it's not our job to judge them for, for the way they are at this moment. And yeah, it's just, it was really sad. I saw Another video of some people were out making a, a film of the damage and all of a sudden the building that they were standing next to just collapsed and they were all running in terror. I mean, it's just a horrible scene and I just, you know, we know that in the time, in the end times, there's going to be massive worldwide catastrophes and and destruction, and death, and, you know, we don't want anyone that we love to go through that, and God calls us to love, so that's my little speech (laughs) about pray for Turkey, and pray for your enemies, and uh, thanks for listening to Blue Skies and Green Pastures.